This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake and Gabby Urrutia going to break down this week's game against NC State here. Uh, Pretty big game, I think, for both teams in different ways, right? As Manny Diaz is coaching for his job and... NC State and Dave Doran are are looking to kind of solidify themselves as potentially a top 15 team, maybe top 10 moving forward uh, by stacking some wins and uh, maybe even getting to the ACC championship game uh, by winning that Atlantic division. So both teams have plenty to play for uh, in this game. So it will be interesting. We'll get into the game here in a little bit, but let's start with recruiting, Gabby. Um, cause I think there's some, some things to touch on there. Um, let's start with a rankings update from 24, seven sports. Um, some commits got bumps, not sure if targets got bumps, but you can let us know if that's the case too, but tell us what we need to know, I guess, from the latest round of, uh, 24, seven sports recruiting updates for this 2022 class. Yeah, I, I think this is an important update just because, um, you know, it being these guys senior years and sort of like after checking out all the midseason cuts, you know, these guys have played seven, eight games to this point. Um, you know, it's a really good time to sort of dive back into the tape and evaluate these guys. Um, so I think this is an update that matters, um, you know, a lot in terms of just like where these guys could potentially finish up in the cycle. Uh, a, a few guys, I mean, again, Miami has a small commit list, uh, only eight guys, but four of them. So at least, you know, half the class for whatever that's worth. Um, is ranked inside the top 247 after this update. Uh, the most notable riser is Chris Graves, the cornerback out of Fort Myers, Bishop Burrow. He got a huge bump, went from outside the top 247 to the number 115 overall player. He's now considered the number five athlete in the country. Uh, he's listed that way, but, you know, he's projected as a cornerback. So, you know, he's a guy that we've talked really highly of, David. I know when he committed, we sort of gave the argument that you know, even with Traquan Keegan's in the class, that, uh, you know, we thought that there w- it was possible that Chris Grace might have had the, the highest ceiling. Um, him being so young, he's not going to turn 18 years old till next summer. Um, you know, so, you know, just a lot of upside to really like to sort of view in him. So I think that's a big deal. Uh, Kamari Rogers, the other cornerback, is still firmly in that. I think he's at number 142. Uh, you know, he's had that ACL injury. It seems like he's going to be back for the spring. And, you know, his intention is to enroll at Miami. Um, you know, he's taken visits to some in-state schools, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Uh, you kind of see have to see how that goes, but he's in there as well. Um, probably the most notable, I mean, maybe not the most notable, but I mean, something you would like to see, Jakari Brown, who was one time firmly in that top 247. 
sort of dropped after there's some concerns about passing issues. Um, after Elite you know, 11, right? After right. Elite 11 and all that stuff. Even sort of before that, too. I feel like he was dropped to right. a three even before the Elite 11. There was just some concerns about his ability to make certain throws. And, you know, uh, as a senior, again, a guy that started a ton of games in South Georgia, uh, you know, he's really sort of elevated his play. I think he has a 17 to 2 touchdown to, uh, to interception ratio. Um, you know, he's completing, he has like the highest completion percentage of his high school career. So uh, definitely sort of eliminated some of those doubts, despite what he's maybe shown on air. Uh, he's a guy that when you put him on the field on Friday nights, he sort of gets it done. So uh, right. he found his way back into that top group, which is really good to see. And then Mark Keith Williams, another guy uh, committed to Miami. He's been in that top 247, stayed in that top 247. He came in at number 222. So you know, definitely some talent in the class. Uh, definitely would like to see more numbers, but you can tell that that top half of the class is at least, you know, up there with some of the best in the country. Was there any movement with targets or pretty much all those guys stayed where they were at previously? Yeah, you know, a lot of those guys, um, you know, maybe give or take a few spots, you know, nothing right. notable. Um, I mean, okay. maybe the most notable is probably Jacoby Spells. I know he was at like 208. He made a jump to like 167. Uh, that's just a lot of just like, you know, the verified speed. Uh, you know, he has the track times, uh, you know, he's shown some twitch, some explosiveness as a senior at American heritage. Um, you know, that was the explanation that, you know, some people at 24 seven sports gave, uh, again, he's just seems like someone that, you know, sort of just projects well, uh, at the sure. next level. So it seems like, you know, we're, we're high on him in that regard. Uh, Anthony Lucas, the defensive lineman out of, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, who's officially visited and then came back recently for an unofficial visit. He earned his fifth star. Uh, you know, they really started giving out more of those, you know, as they get closer to the end of the cycle, uh, they want to have like roughly 32 of those. So, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that's firmly in the mix there and he earned that fifth star. So I think that that's a big deal as well. Manny Diaz talked about recruiting on Wednesday during his media availability. Um, and he gave pretty good glimpse, pretty good insight into how right. they're viewing, you know, potentially closing out this class. Um, in terms of like numbers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, tell us what he said, you know, just the main bullet points that recruiting fans need to be aware of now. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like, um, to me at least, he, he understands that there's obviously not a lot of numbers. He is optimistic about the quality of talent that he's, he's bringing in. Uh, to me, it, I mean, just, just sort of reading between the lines, it doesn't seem like they're in any, you know, they have 22 total spots that they can work with, the, uh, you know, the rest of this cycle. Um, it doesn't seem to me that like they're in any rush to fill all those spots. You know, I could see them taking a couple more guys. They're hopeful that, you know, they can close out on some of the top targets. I mean, with some of those guys being Wesley, the who we'll talk about later in the show, Shamar Stewart. Again, another guy we'll talk about, Nigel e. Kelly, just a few of those guys, maybe even the Henderson twins, just some names to know that they feel hopeful about. Um, again, and then he sort of said that last year in the spring that they were sort of handcuffed because there were, there were guys that they would have liked to have added that they couldn't because they were sort of capped out. So, um, and he's you know, talking, he's talking portal there. Don't he's you talking think? portal? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's talking portal. Uh, it seems like that he, he seems like he understands that that is going to be sort of like where a lot of these spots go, which really, David, I mean, this is sort of, we, this is something we sort of anticipated, right? Like we always yeah. said, like, maybe this class can be 15 to 17, uh, high school guys. And then it could be a, a bunch, a lot more portal guys. It seems like the number just may be at this point, it could be like maybe 12 <laughs> to 15 high school guys. 
and yeah. uh, you know, maybe eight or nine portal guys. Like it, I think the number just increased on that end, but we always anticipated that this was a route that they would probably go. Um, I think the number is just going to be larger than we thought. So even during spring football, I think they're going to sort of leave the door open with maybe a spot or two uh, so that they can go out and grab a guy if, if they really sure. wanted to. Which I agree with. And he also right. said too, you know, I mean, they have the ability to add 32. He yeah. said that now that number doesn't work in terms of the 85 right exactly. now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some guys would have to leave one way or the other. Um, let's have a discussion on this though. Cause in one way I do agree with not taking guys just to take guys. Right. Right. Um, but eight commits is concerning. Um, I think, especially when the potential is there that you could lose some of these guys that are committed, uh, yeah. just with the way the season's trending, right. Not hinting at anything at this point, but if you read tea leaves, you know, that's just the way recruiting goes. Um, is it like, would you be okay with it if Miami only signed 10 or 12 high school guys and left that many, you know, 10 plus spots to, you know, for the portal? And again, this is all within the, the, the framework of if Manny Diaz is still the head coach right. uh, in 2022, is that... Is that a recruiting strategy that you think works? I don't. Um, not in year three, right? If this was him coming in year one and you sort of had to scramble and this is how it works out, um, you know, I could see that sort of being a thing. But I feel like year three at this point, you, you're coming off the number 11 recruiting class. Um, you know, I think you got to, I think you got to, again, David, we've talked about stacking classes and a lot of that has to do with just these incoming high school guys. Let's say you get uh, 12 guys and, you know, let's say you got Nigel e. Kelly in there and Wesley Bassaint, and, you know, you get another maybe defensive tackle and maybe another, you know, like you fill it in with some really like top target guys, then, you know, I think I could be convinced, but, um, you know, with the way things are trending and again, again, just with the way the season's going, can't feel super confident about that right now. Right. So if yeah. you're talking 10 to 12 high school guys, you're assuming that, you know, maybe you're not landing all of your top targets and then you're going portal for a, a, just to sort of, fill out the rest of those spots. I don't think that that's the right way to go about this. I think that's the sort of the position that Miami's put themselves in. So it could be the reality of the situation. Again, this is just assuming that Manny Diaz returns in 2022 and all that. So just in that context, um, I just don't think that would be good enough. Right. And I will say this, I mean, at, you know, in terms of like uh, what is best for the program, I will say it is best for the program. If, you know, Miami does go in a di different direction with the Manny Diaz era. It is best for the program that he has not taken on all these recruits that aren't, you know, let's just say borderline uh, right. Miami caliber players, right? right? So the roster won't necessarily be saddled with those type of guys, which is, is one of the issues, I think, for the past 15 years or so. Miami's taking too many borderline type guys. Um, they need to raise the standard of the type of guys they're bringing in across the board. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not good year three for Manny Diaz that they're in this position, but at the same time, if they, if, if a move is made, if, if it's, if a change is made, um, I think that is 
the best situation for an incoming coach in terms of that new coach, whoever it might be, being able to flip the roster as much as possible, right? Right. Um, Because there will be space to do that, room to do that. Um, Let's talk about you. You went out on the road, I think some practices, right? Yeah. Uh, Shamar Stewart and Wesley Besaint got to uh, chat with them. Tell us about the vibe of those big time targets. Shamar Stewart, five-star defensive lineman target at a Monsignor pace. Wesley Besaint, one of the top linebackers in the state this year, very athletic linebacker at a Miami Central. Yeah. So, I mean, Shamar Stewart, I mean, he's getting set to, to head over to college station this weekend for his official visit with Texas A&M. Um, you know, it seems like they've put themselves in a pretty good position here uh, down the stretch. I think Georgia's firmly in the mix as well. Um, I mean, I do think Miami's been in there, you know, over the summer, it felt like they were almost trending. Um, you know, it just felt to me that, you know, he was expecting to see more from them uh, this right. fall. Uh, you know, he's playing on a team that's struggling right now, you know, in his senior year, uh, you know, going to a program that wins is important. And, uh, you know, he does see an opportunity where he can come in and, and contribute as a freshman uh, here at Miami. But ultimately, you know, what he's seen on the field, uh, you know, really that matters more. And so, you know, that's why, you know, right now I feel like Miami sort of taking a step back uh, in that recruitment. Uh, you know, I do feel like Texas A&M and Georgia have sort of solidified themselves at the top. Uh, again, I, I, again, I don't have a crystal ball in for him right now, but I mean, mine would probably be on Texas A&M if I had to guess right now, but, um, I'm not sure he even knows right now. I think that's why the plan is to take this into February. Uh, from what I understand, you know, he really feels torn about where he can go or, you know, on a day-to-day basis, things can change on which way he's sort of leaning. But, um, you know, I do think if Miami sort of picks it back up and finishes the year strong and maybe gives him a reason to sort of feel hopeful about the future of the program, um, you know, I do think that, you know, things can change, but I think as things currently stand right now with Miami sitting at two and four, um, it's just not enough to land a, a guy like Shamar Stewart. Um, right. You know, interesting little nugget, uh, you know, just kind of tossed it out there like, hey, um, have you heard anything from Oregon? You know, just trying to see where, you know, where they said he said, yeah, he actually does hear from Mario Cristobal specifically uh, pretty often, like regularly. And, uh, you know, he does have an extra official visit that he has sort of in his back pocket. And, he, uh, you know, he said that Oregon is a school that's in a pretty good position to get that one. And, you know, it might just be a trip for him to go check it out and all that stuff. I'm not sure that, you know, they're going to sway him uh, or anything like that, but I thought it was pretty notable that Mario Cristobal has sort of, you know, snuck in the back door and has been sort of been communicating with uh, Shamar Stewart right. regularly. Establishing through, a relationship. Establishing a relationship. And again, not hinting at anything or saying anything's going right. to happen, but I do think that that's pretty notable that, uh, you know, Oregon started to get sort of, has sort of involved themselves uh, in that recruitment. So, uh, and also I think you got to keep an eye on an eye out for what LSU is doing. I mean, that was a school that was a favorite right. for him early on with Edo sort of moving on or LSU going in a different direction. He would be able to visit LSU again, a second time. If, uh, you know, that was a situation he thought sort of worked for him, or if you wanted to just see it a different time under a different administration and all that. And Wesley Besaint, what's the latest there? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, all five official visits in the books, you know, he's seen all of his finalists, you know, he's been to Miami three times, been to Florida a couple times, been to Florida state multiple times, again, officially visited West Virginia and Penn state. 
Um, you know, it feels to me that he's seen everything he's needed to see. He's sort of had all the conversations he's needed to have, you know, with coaches. I think really now it's just time for him to make a decision. That's going to come Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving day weekend um, at some point. So I think he's really just going to spend the next month and a half or not month and a half, like month and change, sort of just talking things over with his family, uh, with his coaches to sort of see where he sort of fits. Um, from what I understand, Florida's really started to sort of push. And that was always a, okay. a thing that we were sort of monitoring. They just lost a linebacker commit in Shamar James. Sounds like he may end up at Alabama or Georgia. So, you know, it seems like Florida's sort of zeroed in on Wesley Bassaint as well. So, you know, really, I think this is an in-state battle between these three schools, uh, Miami, Florida State, and Florida. Um, I, I, I get a really tough sense uh, feeling which way he's leaning there. I always kind of felt like if Florida really, really made an effort, uh, they would put themselves in a really good place. Uh, I definitely feel that way now. But again, it feels like all three of the schools are struggling. If one of them was sort of standing out, you know, with this fall, uh, I would say that school probably had the best chance. I still feel good about where Miami sort of sits. I think he sees that there's an opportunity for him to come in and play. He knows a lot of guys on the team. And, you know, I know he has a really good relationship with Coach Ish, uh, Ishmael Aristide, the strikers coach. Uh, you know, I think Florida State is really in this as well. And, you know, I, I honestly, my crystal ball is on Miami right now. I wrote in the little insider piece, I don't feel confident about that. And that's not to say I don't think Miami can land him. Um, you know, I just, I, I just really get a, a hard time getting sort of a read on him. Uh, right. on where he's leaning and visits this week. We talked in the previous podcast, they're going to host a uh, transfer portal tight end who started his career at Syracuse, Landon Morris. You, you caught up with him, right? Right. And what, just what give us the most notable thing from that conversation. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to come in on Friday and sort of spend, it's almost going to be like an unofficial official visit weekend and turn just in the, in just, what I mean by that is, you know, he's going to spend multiple days in South Florida. He's going to get in here uh, Friday morning, uh, you know, get to really explore the city, explore all that type of stuff, um, you know, just sort of, you know, just get an understanding of what Miami's like. And then, you know, spend all day Saturday around obviously on campus and all those types of stuff before, you know, going to the game on Saturday night. Um, so, I mean, I think it's just notable that he's making that trip with his family. Uh, you know, I'm, to me, it feels like uh, if things go well this weekend, I mean, he's someone that could potentially be on commit watch. Uh, you know, again, Miami's not probably not going to bring in a high school tight end after missing on a few of their top targets. So it feels like Landon Morris is sort of the guy that they zeroed in on. And, uh, you know, I think if things go well this weekend, I, I could see, you know, Landon Morris being the first transfer guy to sort of say like, yeah, I'm in. Anyone else to know that might be visiting this weekend? Yeah, uh, Jeffrey Emba, the Juco defensive lineman, he's going to be taking his official visit this weekend. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a I, – I, I, when Miami first made that offer, I'm just like, what are they doing sort of going the Juco route and all that stuff? But it seems like a good evaluation by them. Uh, since Miami offered them in late September, you know, Emba's picked up offers from Michigan, Arizona State, uh, Minnesota, TCU – um, I don't know if I said Michigan already. I think I did uh, a few of those USC, Mississippi state, uh, you know, so it seems like a lot more big time schools have sort of be, sort of involved themselves since Miami offered. And, uh, you know, I think that it's a big deal that they're getting him on campus uh, for an official. I believe it's the first one that he's going to take. So, you know, I think it's a, I think Miami's got an opportunity to show him how he could sort of fit into this defense. Again, no defensive alignment in this class right now. So, uh, hoping that a domino falls, not saying that he's going to commit this weekend at all. Cause I do think that Michigan is going to give him a lot to think about. Uh, 
you know, I think that's, that was a school that he sort of hinted to me that he was really interested in. I think he's going to take an official visit over there. So don't expect anything drastic to happen this weekend, but I think Miami has an opportunity to show, to sort of, you know, show him their vision of whatever it is they think that he can do uh, on the defensive line here for them and how he, how they feel like Emba could help them down the stretch as well. So uh, always good to get guys like that on campus and uh, around and stuff. So we'll see how that works out. Anyone else visiting to touch on? Uh, uh, Justin Medlock, the Miami linebacker commit, he's going to, he's going to be in town too. I guess he's making his way over from Texas. So good to see uh, that he's going to be at hard rock as well. All right. And I'm sure there'll be more last minute additions. So stay locked onto the website on Saturday uh, for Gabby's thread where he welcomes the recruits that arrive when they arrive. Right. Um, Let's get into the game and, and let's start with this. This is kind of a talking point that I didn't expect to pop up this week. Um, the talking point of Tyler Van Dyke's swag. Uh, <laughs> he has emerged as a quarterback that says some things that are a little uh, strong. I don't know. Right. I don't think he necessarily needs them to be. Um I think he's just kind of shooting from the hip and, and talking normally. Right. So it's, but it's not your typical quarterback speak, right? So the words that are coming out of his mouth uh, are kind of uh, catching, right? Right. Um, so um, what did you make of, of what Van Dyke said? Um, leading up to the, the game here in here, I'll just read the quote, right. That, right. And, cause this, this quote got back to NC state Did and, it. oh yeah. And they're not happy. Uh, the players are not happy. And, <laughs> uh, so here's the quote from Tyler NC state has a great defense. What are they top something in the country? That doesn't matter. They're still the same guys we played last year. We put up 44 points last year on them. They have different wrinkles on their defense. We feel very confident. I don't think they can really stop us. <laughs> so, Gabby, what do you, like, to me, this is just youthful exuberance, you know? Right. I think Tyler has to learn, you know, as, as annoying as it is to deal with quarterback speak from a media perspective, um, you still don't want to motivate the other team. And it's, it's just a bad look when you're saying stuff like that and you haven't really backed it up on the field yet. Right. Um, so what's your take on that? Yeah. Um, I just feel like he speaks in bulletin board material. Um, you know, I like that he's confident. Um, I feel like he's trying to not, not like force the confidence, but I feel like he's just, it's just like, he's trying to, I feel like in a way he's trying to like convince himself that he is like this confident. Um, you know, I, I, I do, you want that from your quarterback, right? You kind of want him to have like a little bit of an edge to him, uh, that little competitiveness where, you know, he's not afraid to sort of go out there and say what he wants to say and, you know, feels like he can back it up and all those things. But at the same time, I think you need to sort of like understand the like sort of just be grounded in the reality of what you've been which is really against power five opponents a below 50 percent passer um who's made a ton of mistakes you're making your third career start against a power five opponent um so don't sort of i mean 
again, I like the confidence, but I wish it was coming from a place where he sort of backed it up more than, you know, maybe he has so far. I, I think it's a sort of a double-edged sword where it could be a good thing and it could really come back and bite you. Cause I mean, that NC state defense on its, on its own is, um, is pretty vicious and, you know, sort of giving them something to sort of salivate over, you know, really just wanting to get to him and sort of just like just giving them that extra chip on their shoulder. Um, you know, not okay with that. Cause I think that they are going to be enough of an issue as it is. And Manny, Diaz was kind of asked about this on Wednesday. Just is Tyler, does he seem more confident than you've seen in the past? And he kind of touched on what you're saying. Like, yeah, he's trying to become more confident as a leader and all that stuff. So I guess I'm asking you, Gabby, like from Miami's perspective, like let's say you are Manny Diaz. Where do you, like what side of the line are you on on this? Do you tell Tyler to rein it in? Or do you think it is important for him to be confident? Because I think for me, and look, I don't, I don't necessarily like that we're going down this road, but I kind of, at this point, I would, I like that he's trying to be confident. And so, right. okay, you're going to say stuff like that, go back it up. Now, if he can't back it up, you got to tell him, yo, man, you got to, you can't be yeah. saying stuff like this anymore. But where do you stand on that? Yeah, I think if you're Manny Diaz, you just got to sort of let it ride. You know, I do think you need to, I do think you need to sort of like talk to him and understand that like, you know, you can be confident and, you know, you can also display that confidence in other ways too. You know, your confidence doesn't need to be, doesn't need your, your confidence doesn't rest on what comes out of your mouth, right? Your confidence is, you know, could be how you carry yourself or what you actually do in your actions. So if I'm Manny Diaz, I talk to him, like, look, like we believe you're confident. Like you don't need to go around saying these things for us to believe that you're confident and you don't need to feel like you have to say these things in order for you to be confident or for people to think that you're confident. I think that there's a way to sort of go about being confident without talking this way and sort of giving other teams even more to more to sort of like go on. So I think that there's a fine line there. And if I think for now, if you're Manny Diaz, you sort of have to let it ride because you're trying to build that in him. But I think, at, you know, down the road, as he sort of matures as a player and, you know, as a quarterback right. and gets older, you need to start having these conversations where, you know, there's more than there's more than one way to be confident and to display confidence, you know, because, uh, you know, you hear all these NFL quarterbacks that are confident guys and they're not talking around. They're not going around saying, oh, I mean, the defense is whatever. I mean, we're going to do this. You know, there's there's ways to sort of go about that, in my opinion. So some of NC State's players had interesting responses, you know, through the media. Um, Daniel Joseph, who's NC State's top edge rusher. He said he was quoted as saying last year was last year. Every year is a new year. It may be the same guys, but I know this team is pissed off for greatness. It's as simple as that. I love pissed off for greatness. I've never heard that before, but I like that quote. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good um, one. I'm nervous for him. <laughs> Savian Jackson says, obviously it adds motivation. It does add fuel to the fire. We just focus on ourselves over here. We've got to focus on what we got going on with our team and we just handle it our way as a defense. It gives us exactly what we want. We want to be tested by every team. If someone is feeling confident, what we want to do is make them not feel confident after the game. That's just focusing on ourselves. And then he continued. There's no point in saying anything back. The game is one between the lines. So 
it'll be an interesting storyline, right? Tyler Van Dyke shaking things up a little bit going into this NC State game, which I did not see coming uh, from Tyler Van Dyke. But hey, if he backs it up, right. He will definitely be a, a fan favorite from a Miami perspective. Oh, no right? doubt. No doubt. Um, let's move on to injuries, right? I think for the most part, everyone who played against North Carolina is expected to play this week. Right. Manny Diaz said Sam Brooks, who's not been practicing, is still on the team. Didn't really go into detail about what's going on there. Um, but Sam Brooks is still on the team. Um, NC State relatively healthy except for when you know they lost their excellent linebacker Peyton Wilson early in the season so of course he's he's not playing against Miami um but they're they're two linebackers that have been playing this year have been really good um so they haven't really missed a beat there so let's dig into NC State Gabby um I'll open it up to you what worries you most about NC State yeah. Um, I mean, a few different things. Well, I mean, I think you have to start with just like the physicality that they play with David. I know that's something that you've noted in the, uh, you know, over last podcast or just about how physical of a team they are. Uh, I think Miami needs to match that. Uh, I don't think that they've done a good job of matching other teams, physicalities, especially early on in games. It feels like Miami sort of had to settle in before they start playing that way. Um, so I'm definitely worried about, you know, how physical that they're going to be. Uh, you know, I'm worried about, you know, Miami's ability to tackle sort of on the perimeters. It feels like, you know, they will throw passes, especially to the running backs, um, you know, Zonovan Knight and Ricky Pearson. They'll sort of, you know, feed it to them, whether it's on, you know, like little screens, um, you know, little check downs. Uh, they run the stretch zone sort of to the outside as well. So is Miami going to be able to tackle on the outside? That worries me. And, uh, you know, really probably worries what maybe worries me most is just like, again, all the different looks they're going to sort of throw at uh, Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, you know, they run that three, three, five and, you know, there's, they had a blitz against, I can't remember if it was Boston college or it might've been Boston. I think, it, I think it was Boston college or Clemson where, you know, they have all three down linemen, all three of the down linemen drop back and all three of the linebackers blitzed, you yeah. know, it was just, it's just, they will show you such different things. And on third downs, it's like, they can drop eight or they can bring eight, you know, like you don't really right. know what you're going to see from them. And, you know, Tyler Van Dyke being an inexperienced guy, uh, I'm worried about his ability to sort of catch on to that quickly and know where to go with the football because we saw him struggle even with time uh, against North Carolina. So I want to see how he responds to, you know, all the different ways that they sort of throw looks at you on defense. Yeah. And, and I'll echo some of those points, right? I, I am, I'm concerned about NC State's third down defense, which statistically is the best in the country, right? And they allow opponents to convert only 25% of their opportunities, right? And that's basic, you know, third down defense is more times than not a domino effect of being able to stop the run at a high level on first or second down. Uh, so that puts you in third and, and longerish type of situations, right? Um, which isn't great, isn't ideal when you're starting a guy and is making his third start at the ACC level as a second-year freshman. Um, right. So that's concerning. Iki Ikwanu, the left tackle for NC State, is excellent. You mentioned the zone run scheme, uh, stretch scheme. They run, you know, 
when they have a short yardage situation, they are running it to that left side. And more times than not, they are converting it because Iki Ekwanu is a, you know, he, he's all the cliches, right? Road grader, wrecking ball. Right. They are true. Um, Mid-season All-American. He's excellent. I mean, he's going to be a first-round pick. Um, I don't know if he's like a tackle in the NFL, but he is he is a difference maker in the run game. So that's something to watch on short yardage. When North Carolina State has to get short yardage, they're going to go to the, the left side and uh, pray for whoever is on that side of the field for the Miami defense. Um, and then the other thing, it's funny because I, I honestly wrote this before I was aware of these NC State quotes, you know, uh, in regard to Tyler Van Dyke. But one of my notes is NC State, and this goes back to their physicality, right? It's, it's, it's their identity. NC State plays with an edge. They play pissed off. And I feel like I, they, they play with an edge on both offense and defense. Would you agree with that? Just yeah, watching them? absolutely, absolutely. And that's not something we've necessarily seen from this Miami team right. at all. Um, so that concerns me as well. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, let's, let's go on to the guy that needs to step up for Miami in this game. Who would you highlight? Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me on offense, I would say it's Charleston Rambo. Um, I just, just sort of looking through the, just like watching the games, uh, specifically that Mississippi state game, uh, you know, the game that like that NC state lost, like their only loss of the year. Uh, a lot of those guys made plays on the outside, uh, whether it was just like contested catches uh, you know, just really making big time plays and tight coverage. I mean, you watch the North, the NC state set, like the corners, uh, I feel like very unlike North Carolina, they can play tough defense and like just play tough coverage without sort of drawing penalties. And so I feel like that forces your outside guys to sort of have to make plays. Uh, they do a really good job breaking up balls in the air where even like they're, they're getting into the receiver's hands and just moving like you know just using their hands well enough to just break up those passes so um i think one of miami's outside guys needs to sort of step up i think that needs to be charleston rambo because i think uh for miami to push the ball down the field he's gonna like they're gonna have to make some plays and i mean i think for me on the offensive side it'll probably be rambo i do feel like and that's i i listed rambo as my potential player of the game right right um and, and so the the reasoning for that is because i agree you know, NC State's corners are, are big, they're physical, they're good players, but I'm not sold that they're, they necessarily have the speed right. to run with Miami's receivers. And we saw that play out in last year's game, right? Like last year was probably the one game where Miami's receivers played well on the outside um, in, in that vertical passing game. And so I think there might be something there for the taking for Charleston Rambo, who you know, I think should be able to run by these NC State corners. Um, I will say, though, it's worth noting, like last week, um, NC State faced Boston College, who features Zay Flowers, who's an right. excellent uh, wide receiver, right? NC State limited him to only catching two passes on six targets for seven yards. Right. So, um, you know, he's Zay Flowers is definitely... I would honestly say more of a focal point for that offense than right. Rambo is for Miami, but still it, it shows the ability of NC state to kind of take away the best right. player on the opposing team. So uh, 
here's the thing. I think, and we'll get into this more, but basically this game to me boils down to can Miami win with their speed on the perimeter, whether that's, you know, this, the outside receivers or uh, Jalen Knighton with perimeter runs. If they can't, you're going to be in a phone booth fight with a team you don't want to be in a, a fight with, right? right. And, and that's going to be hard for Miami to win. My guy that needs to step up, pretty simplistic, Tyler Van Dyke, right? Yeah. You talk to your talk. Now you got to right. step up. Honestly, too, I mean, it, it's, you know, he has to start putting together full game performances, you know, uh, at this level, playing well for a half doesn't get it done um and you highlighted it nc state runs exotic looks from the three three five you know on one down they will drop eight on the next down they will blitz six um so they will and, and i would imagine they will even get more exotic when they watch the film and see how tyler struggles to settle into games when right. teams throw these different looks at him um, so Tyler has to look competent in the first half. Um, and you know, look, NC state has a top five run defense in the country. And when you face a team like that, um, a lot of times it, it, it forces your quarterback to have to st step up and make plays. So if NC state, uh, if their run defense has the similar type of success that they've had all season long against Miami, um, it's going to be on Tyler to, to get the job done. So he's got to step up, man. He's got to win these games. I think he has the ability, um, but he has to put it all together. Um, so it'll be interesting. Who's your potential player of the game? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Jay. I mean, I got Jalen Knighton, uh, just sure. because, uh, you know, I do think the, his ability to make plays again, both in the passing game and, uh, you know, as a runner, I think is potentially special. Um, I mean, just again, just kind of watch that miss that Mississippi state game. Uh, Mississippi state's leading receiver was a running back Dylan Johnson. He caught six passes for 70 yards. So, you know, again, I feel like Tyler Van Dyke has said in the past where he needs to sort of maybe look at his check down some more. I think Jalen Knighton can be a legitimate option uh, on just on multiple downs. And, uh, you know, I could see him being a threat in both. And again, just even watching the Boston college game, uh, they didn't run for a ton of yards, but it seemed like they had a couple guys. They were also down a lot of the game. Uh, they had a couple guys that ran the ball successfully. I mean, they had Garo and Sinkfield. Each of them had a 20-plus yard run. I think Garo had a couple of them. So, you know, I think that well, I, their running defense is good, but, uh, you know, I do think that there's times where, you know, you can sort of take advantage of it or you can just, like, make plays. I think Jalen Nine's a better back than both those guys. So uh, I'm hopeful that uh, he can sort of get the running game going against Again, since Virginia, the second half of that Virginia game through the North Carolina game, uh, hopefully the running games just seem to be improving. Uh, I think Jalen Knighton could be a, a big factor in this I think, one. I think, I think you could argue that Jalen Knighton is the best running back they will have faced to this point. Yeah. Um, but there's no doubt, like, NC State's run defense is legit. Like, I'm not, oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm not making the argument that NC State's run defense is a product of not facing very good running backs. Um, is there a guy in that front seven when you watch them that stands out to you? Like, I like their linebacker, Isaiah Moore, a lot. He's very yeah. fast. Is that he number one? Um, I think so. Yeah, because number one's really good. Uh, number 32 is yes, good. Yes, he I think is number one. Thomas. 
yeah, number one is really good. He stood out a lot in a lot of those games. Like he was a guy, I didn't get the name, but I mean, I just saw him making a ton of plays. So number one was really good. Um, 32, I think his last name's Thomas. So the, this like white guy, I think it's like Drake Thomas or something like yes. that. I thought, I thought he was, uh, I thought he was really good too. And even on the front, like, you know, they, again, they have the three down linemen of Corey Durden. Uh, I think he's a Florida state transfer. I thought he was pretty good at times, but it seems like a yeah. lot of those guys can make plays. I think they're leading, they're leading like sacker is Durden and he has two sacks. Like, I don't right. think, like they have a lot of different guys that can sort of get into the mix. So, I mean, I think it tells you a lot more about the scheme than maybe like the individual, even players or anything like that. So, you know, they have a, they have a lot of guys that can sort of get it done. They do. And, and yet um, Isaiah Moore, their linebacker, he originally signed with USC. Okay. So he's a talented guy he transferred to NC state. Cause I think he's from the North Carolina area maybe, uh, but he has missed only one tackle on the year, I believe. Yeah, so he was really good. That's the type of linebacker play that Miami has been lacking the last two years. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Florida State transfer Corey Durden. It is interesting because their their top edge guy is Daniel Joseph, who is a transfer from Penn State. So he's a guy that's talented as well. Um, he has 22 pressures on the year through six wow. games, which is very high. I think he's, you know, top three or four in the ACC in pressures, but he hasn't necessarily turned those pressures into sacks. So they definitely have guys that can affect the quarterback. Um, but yeah, they don't necessarily have the sack numbers, the, the ability to finish right. uh, with sacks. Um, let's move on to the next talking point. Keys to the game. Give me your top key. My top key... I mean, to me, it's just, I think a big thing here is just like winning the turnover battle, if that makes sense. I mean, you look at the rest of the games that they've played, um, you know, they, NC State typically wins the, turn, the turnover battle against, Miss, against uh, Mississippi State. They lost it three to zero, lost the game pretty convincingly. I think that's something that Miami needs to do better is just forcing turnovers on defense. Uh, NC State has changed a lot of games, turning the ball over. Uh, that Boston College game was 10-7 at halftime. Uh, you know, really just like a both teams just sort of grinding it out. It felt like that game could have gone either way. And, uh, you know, Boston College's Boston College fumbles like a punt or something like that. Like the, the punter drops the ball. NC State returns it for a touchdown. That changes the game right there. NC State basically handled it the, uh, the rest of the way. So I think Miami's defense needs to find a way to turn the ball over. I know Jafari Harvey obviously had that huge play. I think other people need to step up and find a way to just sort of cut down some of these NC State drives. Uh, they're not always going to go big play. They'll sort of chop the field at you, you know, just yep. a lot of short, there's a lot of short yardage passes and just really grind out these long drives. So I think Miami's defense needs to find a way to make a, just make that big time play. We haven't seen a ton of it from them. Uh, I think that would be one of the, the, the one of the, my keys to the game is just defense really forcing turnovers and maybe a couple of them. I'll go with, I'll start with the de a defensive key too. And it's, get pressure on Devin Leary, who yeah. isn't like, he's not a statue, but he's also a guy, like he's a guy you should be able to sack. Right. right? He's not a Brennan Armstrong or a Sam Howell or anything like that. Right. Right. He's definitely more of a pocket guy. Um, and, you know, Mississippi state, which is NC state's one loss this year. Um, they sacked him four times. Right. And Mississippi state, isn't necessarily a, a defense that's sacking a lot of quarterbacks this year. I think they're averaging like two, 2.17 sacks per game. Uh, Clemson, they had, nine, they had nine tackles for loss in that game too. 
Right. And, you know, I think that's SEC body types and SEC 100%. speed, right. all that stuff. Um, Clemson, you know, another t- defense with very good personnel. Um, that game went to overtime, of course. Clemson was able to sack him three times. So, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta get NC state behind the chains. Um, and yeah, you gotta finish on Devin Leary, which this defense has failed to do against Brennan Armstrong and Sam Howe, who are a lot more mobile or elusive, I guess I would say than Devin Leary. Um, so you gotta start getting them on the ground. Uh, another thing Mississippi state did was they did stop the run. Um, you know, you mentioned the tackles for loss, but they're, they, they finished the game with 34 rushing yards on 25 attempts. So, you know, Miami's defense hasn't played anywhere close to where you can expect that. Yeah. Um, but they have to at least, they have to at least try and make NC state somewhat one dimensional, um, which honestly, I mean, I don't know. What, what is your take on NC state's passing game? Cause I think it's, I think it's a little underrated. Like I, yeah. it's not, it's not what Virginia or North Carolina is, but I still think it, it can be very frustrating for a defense to deal with. Yeah. I mean, I think I read a stat that Devin Leary's averaging like 7.4 yards per attempt or something like that. Like, it's not like these guys. So Virginia, we're like, they're going to push it down the field and they're going to take all these shots. Right. Like, I'm not sure that we're going to see that from NC state. You're going to see a lot of, you're going to see a lot of like RPO slants. You're going to see, you know, maybe they'll, they'll throw it to uh, a Mecca easy. I can't say the last name. A Mezzi uh, on the, on the outside. But I mean, he also does a lot of just like, sort of like, finds like the soft spot in the zone and it'll just sort of just like box everyone out like a power forward, just catch the ball and, you know, just kind of chop the field up like, you know, seven, eight yards at a time. And, you know, they, they can throw a downfield. And I feel like Carter's probably one of their biggest downfield threats. I think uh, Azib is the other one that, you know, he can make that long contested catch, but these aren't like speedster burner types that are no, going to like, they're contested that are gonna, catch. Guys. They're contest Exactly. They're contested catch guys. I feel like their bread and butter is just like, you know, a lot of maybe like, even with the running backs, like again, like those screens to the outside, to the perimeter, right. force guys to tackle, um, you know, really short dink and dunk sort of throws, you know, I wouldn't be super worried about Miami if about like, you know, getting beat over the top from like a speed standpoint, right. you might have to make some plays, uh, you know, really make plays on the ball again, because these guys can contest catches, but you know, I'm really going to be, I mean, you got to be able to just sort of handle these guys. Again, you've talked about it being sort of like a phone booth, David, like you got to maybe be able to make plays like, you know, within like those 10, 15 yards, like, of the line of scrimmage. I will say this too, like thinking back to last year's game, I thought NC state had a really good game plan for Miami's defense. You know, it was, they did, a, they did a good job of misdirection plays where they got Miami's aggressive defense running one way really hard. And then, you know, they, they throw the ball to the other side of the field. So I think that's one thing to keep an eye on too, is, you know, you got to have a little bit of eye discipline against this team you know, that will beat you with some play action looks. Um, any other keys you want to highlight? No, I mean, I just think again, it's just like, just again, just chopping up the field, you know, just putting to like stringing together long drives, not going three and out, you know, like starting quick on offense, I think is huge. Like, you know, getting going. They got to run the ball. They got to really got to be able to run the ball. I mean, you look at, I mean, you don't want Tyler and third and longs all game long, which is what NC state does to people. Yeah, so. I mean, that's what they did to Clemson a lot. I mean, I, I was just going through the time. I imagine I, 
I think Clemson's probably the better team maybe than NC State. But, I mean, Clemson did not string together a lot of, a lot, a lot of drives. They lost a time of possession battle, 41 minutes to 40, uh, 48 seconds to 18 minutes and 12 seconds. Like, wow. NC State just held the ball a lot longer, and that's a game that went into double overtime, you know. Like, right. I think as an offense, you need to be able to consistently move the ball. Um, and I think that that's a, I think that that's huge. I mean, you see all the games that have been sort of close, like that, the Louisiana tech game, uh, Louisiana tech wins the time possession, 30 minutes, 41 seconds to 29, 19. Um, you know, that was a really good game. That was a 27, 34, you know, sort of battle. I mean, that's not a great Louisiana tech team either. That game was interesting because Austin Kendall is their quarterback, right? Right. He's a guy that started at Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. West Virginia transferred right. to West Virginia. Now he's at Louisiana tech. So he's a guy that has some talent. Uh, he was just playing gunslinger mode against yeah. NC state, just running around throwing the, you know, he made yeah. some impressive throws. I don't know if it's, you know, very common for him to make those type of throws, but he was, and he was effective with his legs. Um, so I do think like, I don't know if Tyler Van Dyke is, should be expected to have that type of performance, but it is going to take those kind of plays at times, I think for Tyler to win this game. Right. Let's go to some over unders. I made up uh, for this game. First one over under Miami totaling as a team, 100 yards rushing. I'm going to go include sack yardage, right? I'm going to go under. I will too. So I think my NC state's, Rushing yard defense per game is like 92, I think, on the year. So, yeah, I mean, if I think if Miami can get in that 120 yard range against this defense, you would be encouraged, you know? Right. Yeah. 150, you feel even better. Definitely. You know, over 150. And I would be surprised if Miami doesn't win the game because that probably means Jalen Knighton's having a good day. Absolutely. which I think is possible because Jalen is very talented. Right. Um, Tyler Van Dyke over under 60% completion percentage for the game. I'm going to go under there too. You know what? I think I'll take the over. Yeah. I think I'll take the over. I, I don't know sign, why. Right. You just have a feeling. I just have a feeling. He might, I feel he, you, man. he might put it together this week. So I'll I take the you. over. You, you uh, talk that way. I, I sure hope so. <laughs> right. Um, over under two and a half sacks for Miami. I'm going to go over there. Okay. Three. Yeah. I'll go three. I think that's, okay. I think that's possible. I'll go three as well. Right. Cause Miami's been in position to, to rack up some sacks. Yeah, absolutely. They just, like, I think finished. Jared, I think, I think Jared Harrison Hunt has he the two, two sacks he missed the two he yeah. missed. I think he finishes in this, in this, in this type of game against Devin Leary. I would agree with that. So I think there'll be opportunities there again. And I think this team will, you know, they'll be able to finish better against a Devin Leary type quarterback. Um, Betting line thoughts. So it is as of what Thursday afternoon when we are recording this NC state is a three point favorite. It opened with NC state as a two point underdog. So we've seen a pretty good swing here. Uh, this week and the over under is at 51 and a half. Um, where do you stand? What do you like either one of these bets better than the other? I'm kind of running with the over, man. I, I don't know. I just, okay. I mean, this game, 
scored like 85 points last year. And I don't, I don't think it's going to be that, but I mean, just looking at, I can see like the game playing out similar to maybe like Louisiana tech where like, I feel like it could be a similar where like they score Miami scores and uh, you know, things sort of get rolling. I don't know. I feel like if Miami plays even three good quarters of football, I think that they could score, you know, 24 plus points. Uh, right. And I, I mean, I don't know. I think I'm, I honestly would take the over. Right. Yeah. The implied score is what, uh, like 28, 25 ish. I don't know. I can't do the math like that on, yeah. on the fly, but something like that. Um, what if, what if you had to pick NC state or Miami minus three plus three, which would you go with? I don't know. I don't regret this, but I'm going to go Miami plus three, man. Okay. So you just a okay. gut, just okay. a gut, just a I gut like feeling. That. Of of all these lines, I think I would go NC State minus three. Yeah. Um, which kind of transitions to our score prediction. Gabby, you like the Canes plus three? I don't know, man. Give it to me. What are you thinking? Well, I, I'm probably gonna regret this Saturday okay. night, but okay. I, I don't know, man. Something's just telling me that they find a way, man. I don't know. I, I maybe it's just me feeling guilty for picking them to lose the last few weeks that okay. I feel like I just need to pick one. And uh, who knows, man? I don't know. I felt like they're at least speaking confidently that they're still going to continue to play hard for, for, for Manny Diaz and all that stuff. I think, so uh, me, what's the I score? think maybe they get one. I, I, I put 31, 27. That's uh, a, okay. that's a, uh, is that, is that the, yeah, it's that, that's the over. So um, I got something like that's something real close. Uh, can maybe a, a one score game that maybe they're actually able to be on the other side of, you know, where they, where they're finally able to sort of, rid of these like last drive woes and you know maybe finish one or something like that you know I, I could see it being very close so the biggest reason Miami wins the game in your mind is what I mean I kind of like to center I think they play you know at least let's say if it's even like not four full good quarters of football I think maybe they play like if they could play three good quarters of football uh, you know, I feel like we've seen enough from maybe not seen enough but I think that there's flashes there where you can be encouraged about like Again, if this team does play 15 better minutes in a game where they can maybe be on the other side of some of these losses, uh, potentially by a larger margin. Um, so, you know, I just think that, uh, I don't know, I just can't see this team. I, I guess I could, but I mean, I'm hopeful that they'll play a more complete game, maybe not a full four quarters, but, you know, they will play, let's say, three good quarters of football and they'll be able to, to come out on the other side of this. And, uh, you know, I'm on the Jalen Knight hype train. I think sure. that he could so be a difference maker. Comes and, down uh, to that. Yeah, I think that uh, you know, Jalen Knight could be a, a guy. Um, hopeful that maybe Tyler Van Dyke puts it together a little bit more. And I think the defense with a more like again, not a statue, but with a guy that's not going to beat them with his legs as much as maybe some of these other quarterbacks have. That uh, you know, they will give him a harder time, uh, just sort of not allowing them to really get a ton going. You know, in that passing game and again, hopefully with their speed and all that stuff that with, they have to play on a, in a small, on a smaller field, basically without some of these maybe long shots that they constantly have to worry about that they could just maybe just play a better game. I don't know. I'm trying to convince myself that maybe <laughs> they find a way to win this one. Um, Let me we'll ask see. you this because I think like tackling, right. I mean, there's no doubt Miami's bad at tackling, right. Yeah. But it is a two way street. Like it also matters who you're going against, right. right? Because the better players you go against, um, the tougher it is going to be to tackle them. Yeah. Do you feel like Miami, like you've watched NC state. 
do you think Miami will be able to tackle this team well? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I think maybe, you know, I feel like they've seen a lot where they've maybe like, I don't know, man, I, I can't say yes, but I'm hopeful that maybe we see okay. something better. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I know Ricky Pearson and uh, Zonovan Knight are both really good players. And I think it's going to be, uh, I think they're going to have trouble tackling them. But, uh, you know, I sort of saw, I felt like they adjusted on Ty Chandler uh, better, you know, as the game went on. Yes. And I feel like if they can sort of carry that over into this, where they're just going to, you know, have to really do a good job stopping the run and, you know, stopping him in the passing game in that way, stopping both these guys in the passing game, uh, the way they sort of use him on the perimeter. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, something could happen again. I'm just, I think no, I feel like I I'm like just it. being I, optimistic. No, I, I'm with you. Like, I do think... I do think there's a chance Miami can win this game, right? I mean, I don't think it's crazy to pick it. Um, and there's a reason why Las Vegas set the original betting line with Miami as the favorite. Right. Um, but with that being said, I'm going to go NC State 35, Miami 24. And to me, this kind of just boils down to, you know, at this point in the season, I got to go with what my eyes tell me. Yeah. And, you know, NC State's been the better team than Miami this year so far. I'm very much into, at the college level, I'm very much into, you know, teams having identities, teams knowing what they are when the chips are down. Right. NC State knows what they are on offense and on defense. I'm not sure Miami does, um, you know, in terms of anything good. I feel like Miami's identity is all these bad things, right? Um, right. And also too, you know, NC State, they kind of just generally speaking, the way that they play and the way they've constructed their team, they remind me a lot of a Big Ten team. And, you know, as you know, like Miami for the past, what, 15 years or so has not typically done well against Big Ten teams that thrive on a big team. Have they beaten a Big Ten team? I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure they have, but off the top of my head, I can't think of one. Um, oh, Ohio State, maybe Golden. Yes, they did. Yep. So, you know, but generally speaking, these these Big Ten teams that are physical, well-coached teams, you know, not this, you know, none of these teams could run with Miami, which I think is is kind of the case with NC State. Uh, but still, they, they are you know, physicality, the football is a game of physicality. Football is a blocking and tackling game. Um, and, and Miami is kind of trending towards average with blocking and they are abysmal at tackling. So I can't get over that. And, uh, you know, when you look at the games too, like I do think Miami has played a tougher schedule to this point, but still, I mean, NC state has scored more than 33 points in three of their five F FBS matchups this year, whereas Miami has scored more than 30 points only once. And, and it is a game they're coming off of. So maybe there's some momentum going on there. Um, but I think it's also fair to point out these last two ACC games, um, you know, Virginia is probably the second worst defense in the ACC. You know, I think Miami right now, the way they're playing is the worst. Um, and North Carolina, um, you know, against any offense that has a pulse, 
North, North Carolina is allowing 35 plus points uh, per game against these teams. So I don't trust this Miami team too. Um, and also, you know, last year's game doesn't matter. You know, each game is its own entity. But generally speaking, when you look at these two teams, they are kind of the same teams as they were last year, except Miami's quarterback situation is worse, you know, without Derek King. And NC State's situation at quarterback is better with, you know, last year they were playing with their backup, Bailey Hockman, because Devin Leary was injured. This year, Devin Leary's back, and he is a much better quarterback than Bailey Hockman. So, you know, just at this point, I got to go with logic. Uh, I'm not saying your prediction isn't logical. <laughs> what are you trying to say, David? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, I just, unfortunately, I think, I think NC State's the better team. Um, I would be surprised if it's like a blowout type of game. Um, you know, 35, 24 is what I'm thinking with NC State kind of pulling away late. Um, Cause I'm not sure if NC State has necessarily the horses to blow out Miami. Um, but I just think they're the better team and I think they will win the game. But like, I agree with you, like Miami has a chance to win this game. And, you know, I've touched on it many times in this podcast. If they do it to me, it just boils down to the speed factor, which is why they won last year. In addition to De'Ara King having statistically the best game ever by a Miami quarterback, you know, 400 and 100, and I believe throwing for five touchdowns. So yeah. It's a very interesting game, though. Um, it's another one of these games that's winnable, so you got to go out and win it. Um, but you also got to go out and tackle, which Miami right. doesn't do right now. So we will wrap it up there. However the game goes, we will have an instant reaction podcast uh, following the game. Hopefully we're talking about a win, right, Gabby? Yeah. Uh, until next time, want to thank everyone for listening. Until next time, take care.